Let us pray. Gracious God, come to us in the stillness of this moment and quiet our hearts enough that we might receive your word and receiving it, let it change both our understanding and our actions. Amen. Today's scripture comes from Genesis 21, verses 8 through 21. The child Isaac grew and was weaned, and Abraham made a great feast on the day that Isaac was weaned. But Sarah saw that the son of Hagar, the Egyptian, whom she had borne to Abraham, playing with her son Isaac. So she said to Abraham, cast out this slave woman with her son, for the son of this slave woman shall not inherit along with my son Isaac. The matter was very distressing to Abraham on account of his son. But God said to Abraham, do not be distressed because of the boy and because of your slave woman. Whatever Sarah says to you, do as she tells you. For it is through Isaac that offspring shall be named for you. And for the son of the slave woman, I will make a nation of him also, because he is your offspring. So Abraham rose early in the morning and took bread and a skin of water and gave it to Hagar putting it on her shoulder along with the child, and sent her away. And she departed and wandered about in the wilderness of Beersheba. When the water in the skin was gone, she cast the child under one of the bushes, and then she went and sat down opposite, a good way off, about the distance of a bowshot. For she said, Do not let me look on the death of the child. And as she sat opposite him, she lifted up her voice and wept. And God heard the voice of the boy, and the angel of God called to Hagar from heaven and said to her, What troubles you, Hagar? Do not be afraid, for God has heard the voice of the boy where he is. Come, lift up the boy and hold him fast with your hand, for I will make a great nation of him. Then God opened her eyes, and she saw a well of water. She went and filled the skin with water and gave the boy a drink. God was with the boy, and he grew up. He lived in the wilderness and became an expert with the bow. He lived in the wilderness of Paran, and his mother got a wife for him from the land of Egypt. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. As we continue our journey through Genesis today, especially with this story, we've come to a point where we need to back up a little bit and look at some of the events that have taken place between the selections from Sunday to Sunday. Last week, we remembered the laughter of Sarah, laughter that came as God proved ever faithful by making the impossible possible as Sarah, in her old age, finally gave birth to a long-promised baby, Isaac. But that baby was a long time coming. And in the midst of God's assurance that their ancestors would be as many as there are stars in the sky, Sarah, for years upon years, did not bear any children. 
And so Abraham and Sarah, taking God's promise into their own hands, decide to use what we would today call a surrogate. And the woman Sarah has in mind is Hagar, her Egyptian servant. Sarah sends Abraham to Hagar, and lo and behold, Hagar is soon with child. Now the whole endeavor is Sarah's idea, but as soon as the idea reaches fruition, literally, it somehow seems like less of a good idea. I imagine you know something of what that feels like. That feeling is so ubiquitous that the phrase, it seemed like a good idea at the time, has entered our lexicon. And we understand the implication without ever having to speak it. It seemed like a good idea at the time is code for, well, it turns out it was actually a pretty terrible idea. Using Hagar as a surrogate was to Sarah something that seemed like a good idea at the time. But as soon as Hagar is pregnant, tensions arise between the two women. Sarah complains to Abraham, and Abraham says, she is your servant, treat her however you like. And this leads to Sarah treating Hagar so harshly that Hagar runs away. So poor was she treated that as a vulnerable and pregnant servant, a slave, really. She takes off into the wilderness alone and without provision. She hasn't gone far before a messenger of the Lord finds her and says, return to Sarah, stay the course, because you too will have many offspring. As for the child you are carrying now, it is a boy, and you will name him Ishmael, which means God hears because the Lord has heard how harshly you have been treated. In response to this, Hagar says, you are Elroy, which means the one who sees. And so listening to the God who sees her and hears her, she returns to Abraham and does give birth to a son, Ishmael. Now this is a highly sanitized version of the story one that I have cleaned up even a bit more for our purposes today. But make no mistake, whatever language we use, it is the story of a slave woman used and abused by her master and mistress. Phyllis Tribble, a feminist scholar of the Bible, she says, all manner of rejected women find their stories in Hagar. She is the faithful maid exploited she is the black woman used by the male and abused by the female of the ruling class. She is the resident alien without legal recourse, the other woman, the runaway youth, the religious fleeing from affliction, the pregnant young woman alone, the expelled wife, the indigent relying upon handouts, the self-effacing female whose own identity shrinks in service to others. Now keep in mind all of that, which is the backstory for today's reading. Hagar becomes pregnant, runs away, returns and gives birth to Ishmael. Then we get the story of Abraham and Sarah and Isaac, the miraculous, hilarious birth. Which means when we pick up in chapter 21, we have two women 
and two sons, which leads to inevitable conflict. And in a chain of events that starts to sound awfully familiar, Sarah grows concerned about Hagar and Ishmael in relation to Isaac. She demands that Abraham send the servant woman and her son on her way. Abraham is terribly upset, but God says, do what Sarah has told you to do, because your descendants will be traced through Isaac. Don't worry about Hagar and Ishmael. I will make a great nation of him too. He is also your son. So Abraham sends them on their way to wander in the desert. Their water runs out, and in the desert, lack of water means death is close at hand. She sets her son down, protected under a bit of bushes, walks a short distance away, and breaks down weeping. God hears the boy's cry, calls down to Hagar, get up. For I have heard this distress, and make no mistake, he will become a great nation. God opens her eyes, and she sees a well. They have water. They have life. Ishmael thrives, and his mother with him. So if you've ever thought the Bible was boring, you just weren't reading the right parts. There are about a million different ways a sermon could go at this point, but in the interest of making sure you get to lunch on time, I've chosen two points for our consideration. The first is the power and essential nature of lament. I stayed up late last night rereading Genesis to make sure that what I'm about to say is accurate. The first time we hear anyone weeping in scripture, it's Hagar. Up to this point, all sorts of heartbreaking events have taken place, but there is no report of any outward expression of anguish. Hagar changes that, and I believe that is critically important. You may not be aware of this, but Christians have sometimes been accused of being a happy, clappy sort of people. People for whom sadness just slides off our backs thanks to platitudes and heresies along the lines of, well, God doesn't give us more than we can handle. And after all, if you give in to feelings of despair, well, obviously, you just don't have enough faith. Hagar, who is the first person bold enough to weep, at least according to scripture, declares otherwise. And while she is the first, she is certainly not the last. Lament runs throughout the Bible. We have a whole book called Lamentations, and fully one-third of the Psalms, 50 out of 150, are Psalms of Lament. Over and over again, the people of God weep and wail and cry out to God in response to the pain of this world and in response to the pain in their lives. Psalm 13, for just one example, begins, How long, O Lord? How long will you forget me? How long will I carry this grief day after day, year after year? 
Lament serves an essential purpose. It breaks something open, including any empty claims that everything is just fine. Lament bears witness that something has gone wrong in this world that was made to be good and very good. Walter Brueggemann, a scholar of the Old Testament and professor at Columbia Seminary, he says, lament always summons God. And again, this reassures us that lament and grief and weeping and being not fine, all of that is faithful. Now, we don't like to feel that way, but still, don't let anyone tell you that feeling that way is wrong or that it betrays a lack of confidence in God. If anything, lament suggests the exact opposite. Crying out to God means you do, in fact, believe that someone is listening and that you do, in fact, believe that the one who listens will also act. Lament summons God. This is true in the world. We lament injustice all the time. And it is true in our own lives. We lament when things have gone off the rails or life just doesn't look the way we thought it would. And it is true in Hagar's life too. For God hears Hagar's weeping and Ishmael's cries and intervenes. And that leads us to the second point I hope we will carry from this story. This story is masterfully told from beginning to end. Every step of the way, we are meant to side with Sarah and Isaac. After all, Isaac is the promise fulfilled. Isaac is the source of laughter and joy and unlimited potential. Isaac is the heir to God's chosen people. The story is told in a way that readily leads us to that conclusion. And it does its darndest to make sure we take sides and that we land squarely on Isaac's side. Because the story is clear, without Isaac, there is no future. We are meant to choose. But God refuses to choose. God refuses to take sides. God is committed to Ishmael just as God is committed to Isaac. Before Ishmael is even born, God intervenes and sends the runaway Hagar home so that she will not be lost in the wilderness when she is too vulnerable to survive on her own. And when Hagar is cast out, God intervenes and essentially makes water to spring up out of the desert, an occurrence that the prophet Isaiah will one day point to time and time again. You see, God insists on caring for everyone. Even the outsider, God's own people, prefer to abandon. God remembers all of God's children, like the mother who, not, who will not forsake her nursing child, like the father who runs to welcome the prodigal home. 
God forgets no one and leaves no one behind. Hagar weeps because when push comes to shove, she and her son are thrown away. Having served a purpose, they are no longer part of the big story, the main story. That story belongs to Sarah and Isaac. And if God believed that the end justifies the means, we might be having a very different conversation today. But through Hagar's life and witness, we are told in no uncertain terms that in God's eyes, no one is discounted or less valuable. No one is expendable or written off as just the cost of doing business, even in the name of religion or faith or righteousness. Maybe especially in the name of religion or faith or righteousness. When the world demands that we choose, God refuses. I've just heard what that sounds like, and it's actually not quite right. Because when the world demands that we choose, God says, okay, absolutely, I choose them all. So if you are needing something to hold on to today, hold on to this. God does not forget or abandon. God hears us when we cry out or when we are reduced to weeping. Whatever wilderness we find ourselves in, when nothing is going right, when we feel overwhelmed by our jobs or the lack of them, when responsibility exhausts us, or family disappoints us, or friends reject us, when the world in any way shatters us, God does not forget or abandon. God finds us wherever we are, the God of Hagar and Ishmael, the God who sees us and hears us, always finds us with water for our every thirst and love for our deepest need. Pray with me. Gracious God, we believe. Help our unbelief. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.